Hello, my community. Late April in South Carolina's fields doesn't sound like a cool weather crop moment, but the chill is only slowly leaving the earth, so we get this last run at cool spring vegetables. This is a moment to enjoy tenderness and crunch when you pick up local bok choy, kale, lettuces, and Swiss chard. You can eat all of these things raw for their juicy crunch in sturdy chopped salads with dice bulbs of faintly sweet raw fennel and mustardy vinaigrettes. Or you could braise these greens, cooking them slowly in flavorful broths so they become tender yet hearty stews. Pull braised greens over grits with a knob of cheese or butter, or stew your sliced Swiss chard and combine it with roasted poblano peppers and potatoes with cream and white cheeses for one of the best taco fillings you'll ever enjoy. I'm Claire Houle, a writer and instructional designer at the Center for Teaching Excellence at Midlands Technical College here in Columbia, South Carolina. This season, I'm following the roots and filaments of teaching practice at the college around the set of skills and experience of learning to learn. What skills do you teach? How do you teach them? How could we connect our teaching for our students and each other? This is Instructional Ecology. Welcome back. Today, we talk about a habit of mind. As we explore the experience of learning to learn, today's conversation will turn on the skill of a lifetime, one that grows and deepens with maturity. The reflective journey can at first seem overgrown and resistant to us with hazy boundaries and unclear ends when first we trod them. But with time and method, we become confident in hollowing out smoother, well-traveled avenues that lead us again and again to the deep wells of self-knowledge that allow us to make choices more and more in tune with our personal lives and work, more likely to lead us to where we want and need to go. In today's episode, we'll take reflection beyond simple self-awareness to actual deliberate practice. Teaching students how to deliberately check in with their process, to plan, to think about how activities win, to plan again, to act again, to reflect again, is proven to improve learning and success. In fact, American pragmatism, one of our great schools of philosophy, lists reflection into the most valuable of practices. John Dewey, the pragmatist philosopher, famously said, we don't learn from experience. We learn from reflecting on experience. In other words, it's entirely possible not to learn from our mistakes. All we have to do is ignore them and ignore the steps we took that led us to where we did not want to go. We can ignore feedback. We can continue to act without deliberation, without change, without agency and we'll walk off that cliff again and again. But another way is possible. It demands attention and presence and willingness to consider our own actions and outcomes, which is easier said than done. As we work to build lifelong learners, giving the skill of reflection strengthens students in their time as students, as workers in their careers, and as community members, as they live independently or with family, raise children, go to the polls, 
or participate in the many small and large interactions of daily living. After our last episode, I feel that reflection is somehow a companion to the art of frustration. Reflection makes frustration meaningful and allows a productive response instead of avoidance or rage and despair. Reflection begins as a skill and can develop into a habit of mind. A person who can reflect on their actions, their circumstances, is categorically better equipped to deal with the uncertainty of life and learning and make choices that are constructive and sensible to themselves instead of being forever blown and battered by outside forces. Reflection shores up the pillars of agency, allowing choice instead of surrender or unconsidered reaction. Reflection doesn't mean simply telling over to oneself the things that have happened. Reflection both requires and builds agency. Reflection means evaluating action as it happens and after it happens. Reflection is neither self-congratulation nor self-exculpation. If something went well, why did it go well? How can we do that again? If things didn't go well, what would have made a difference? How can things be done differently next time? Reflection is not a spectator sport. It's only effective when intention is clear that change is needed, even if that change is to identify best practices so they can be done again and better next time. Reflection is not passive. It isn't only self-gaze. Reflection sounds as though it conjures the Greek myth of Narcissus, the youth so enamored of his own beauty that he looked for so long at his own reflection in quiet waters that he transformed into a flower growing on a riverbank. That's narcissism. To my mind, reflection in a learning context is the gaze of the creator who constantly evaluates choices. The learner is both Pygmalion and the living art Pygmalion creates. They generate their own identity and self with thought and care and the goal of creating a life, constantly cycling between what is and what could be, and then doing what is necessary to reach that next step, that next phase, which is why we teach it. If we were born being excellent practitioners of self-reflection, human history would look quite different. The teaching of the methods and discipline of reflection is another essential skill that many people around the college have developed in their careers. They teach it and they live it. So today we'll look into how reflection is being built into two different paths of study at the college. In our last episode, we had two instructors talking, but only one teaches at the college. This is the first episode where we'll be able to compare flavors of the way essential skills are taught here at MTC. As you may recall from our first episode this season, flavor is the word Mary Helen Hendricks uses to appreciate that while all parts of the college may teach the same skills, the way they teach and use those skills may be quite different. All of our schools adapt teaching and learning methods so that they best suit what they're teaching. Today, we'll hear examples. In this episode, we'll set alongside each other the School of English and Humanities and the School of Healthcare. By drawing them near each other, perhaps we'll close some perceived gaps between these types of teaching. We can also appreciate actual differences. We'll get a better, more accurate sense of the connections, 
the overlaps and the divergence that might exist between these two different schools of instruction. I talked to these two professors separately, but I hope that you'll begin to put what they say into conversation in your thinking as you listen. Where does their teaching connect or diverge? And also consider how does what they say come into dialogue with your teaching, with your own history of learning and reflection? When do their voices speak in unison, in purpose or method? Both of these professors have made reflection a habit of mind in their lives. Let's begin in the lived-in comfort of book-lined offices and the coffeehouse-rich neighborhood of English and humanities and sit a spell in the world of public speaking. My name is Matt Stilwell. I'm a public speaking professor and coordinator in the School of English and Humanities Department. And I joined MTC in 2017 as an adjunct faculty member and then transitioned to a full-time faculty member in the fall of 2018. So this episode is about reflection, which is uh, one of my favorite things to think about and talk about. Um, And uh, so what I'm hoping you'll do is give us your very particular understanding of Reflection in the context of your classes, what is the place that it has in the courses you teach and and what's that that value in your discipline? Yeah, great question, Claire. I think with the reflection in public speaking, a lot of the times it comes after the performance, right? Um, So I think that's the evaluative aspect we really like to look at is let's get the experience and let's perform. Not, Not saying that we don't need to concentrate on the lead up and the preparation to it, which we will in the reflection process afterwards. But I always like to tell my students, you have to go through the experience first and then let's kind of do our reflection and metacognitive process afterwards. Um, so we kind of take that in a twofold process uh, with a little bit of the oral reflection right after the speech performance uh, with our peers and in the class. And we get some great feedback and some just great observations and notes as well um, that we had as well in the performance and, and just kind of those quick takeaways. And then we kind of shift that. Uh, what we like to do is a, a written reflection as well. And we like to kind of use some time and, and a couple of days to, you know, if there's anything that knew that um, they remembered or experienced yeah. that they want to talk about uh, maybe a little bit more in those written reflections, we kind of give that space as well um, after those speech performances. Two things immediately come to mind. And the first is uh, you're getting something different out of those two. You're, you're doubling up your reflections, right? One is immediate and oral and one is delayed and written. Tell me about that. Clearly, there is different benefit to these. What what do you see between this? For sure. I think the for the oral reflection, what I, I like about it, it just gets immediate feedback. And I think sometimes students prefer that immediate feedback on some things uh, that they did well or maybe things that they just want to improve on in that moment or kind of moving forward. Um, And then I really like the delayed feedback as well, because I think it's great for us as communicators uh, just to take some time to reflect, obviously, on our performance, uh, what went well, what didn't go well, what we can kind of improve on. um, And we kind of make those steps and adjustments moving forward to better improve our communication and speaking process. There's something else too that came up for me when you say, okay, you know, as soon as 
the, the speech is given, we immediately have some feedback. And I realized that you are talking about when your class is well underway, because I think that when we come to this with a beginner's mind, reflection is, is quite nerve wracking. And it's really hard for students to like look directly at them. So, you know, they're so afraid of what they'll see and what would others say. So tell me about how you get them to the, the place where they're willing and able to look at themselves. Very much so. Um, I think what we, we really concentrate on the beginning of the semester right away for our public speaking courses, because it is a very vulnerable uh, area in the classroom. And like you said, either with the speech performance or with the reflection piece, what I really try to emphasize, Claire, is building that community in the classroom and making that area that is it's okay to make mistakes and know that we're going to make mistakes and go through it. But I think the important process is, is to really evaluate it and how can we improve ourselves in this moment, um, in these weeks of the semester together to help get it to where we want to be or just building confidence in ourselves. And I think that's, that's the, one area I kind of like to try to emphasize early, early on, so we can have those spaces for conversation, um, for for improvement, and, and kind of the opening up and the vulnerability is we have to establish that community early, early on. And we do that in a number of ways of just uh, questions of the day, um, group activities, and just really kind of having uh, that interaction uh, in the classroom to help to get to know one another as we're moving forward. You know, it's so interesting in your particular discipline, I think about what happens when the community is also an audience, right? You know, because not all audiences are a community. And not all communities function as an audience. And in your class, they are married together. And I'm curious, do you find that your students move in and out of those roles? Like, are there times when they're like, okay, um, I'm going to now be the audience and listen to you? Or do you find that they come to always be connected and um uh, very attentive to the identity of the speaker. You know what I'm saying? Like, do they? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I think it's very obviously anecdotal, but just trying to get a feel of my 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 classes over the years. I feel like you know it's the type of audience that we teach in public speaking. So they experience one audience right the entire semester together. So they're able to really build those relationships within these 14, 15, 16 weeks or how long we go through the semester with. Um, and it just it gives it a different feel. And I'm very kind of clear on that is, you know, you may not experience this in a different public communication um, or, or setting or area. And we need to just make sure we're kind of focusing in on the differences, but also noting what preferences and differences they like. So maybe if they really do enjoy right that audience building relationship moving forward, I think that's a great skill to learn in the semester because they know the tools and the resources to use just to help to connect with that audience that much better. I'm wondering, so, I mean, what, as we learn, we always know that, like you say, those 14, 16 weeks, whatever they are, we're we learning. It's, it's you know, but then we, we go out, you know, the class is over and we have to transfer these things um, in other ways. Tell me about how you see the benefit of reflection as you teach your students to do it. How can they transfer that? How Where where are you hoping this can support them in other contexts? Yeah, I'm hoping they they just take away the methods and the process of 
hopefully kind of teaching what we're doing in our class of maybe it's an oral reflection, getting feedback from a peer right after an assignment, or more so maybe it's just kind of writing and journaling uh, the reflection process after the assignment. So I'm really trying to give him the multiple tools when they do an assignment or when they do an assessment outside of the classroom, they're really looking at ways to kind of brainstorm, evaluate, and then also improve and make adjustments as they're moving forward as a communicator. Well, how about you? I, I, you know, most practitioners have a deliberate practice of reflection and many teachers do, you know, those of us that are in classrooms um, have to, or we don't have to, but we find that it strengthens our practice. It keeps it alive in a new way. Do you have some deliberate practices of reflection? What do you do? Yeah, it's interesting you mentioned that, Claire. I, I pretty much kind of use the same thing in my classes and use it in my evaluation and teaching practices as well. So I always, for example, if I'm teaching a class uh, and we're having a teaching discussion and I always like to reflect right after that class, what went well, what didn't go well, what could I have done better, what connected? Um, and I kind of use that immediate feedback of, you know, right after the, 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 the class or the teaching discussion and I'll kind of make notes moving forward on, on what I need to improve on. And then maybe at the end of the week or maybe at the end of the semester, I'll kind of revise and look at my um, teaching plans and lesson plans and discussions and activities. And I'll kind of like, OK, where can I make adjustments? Uh, what what can we help improve on with my teaching? Uh, what can we do better as an educator? So I kind of like using the same philosophy, really, with some of the things I use in the classroom um, in my teaching as well. One of my favorite things is to ask uh, professors how they've come to this point in their career. You know, we talk a lot about how our students come from so many different backgrounds and they have so many goals and so many different um uh, ways in which they've arrived at our at our college, but you know, so have our faculty. And I was thinking so much about how you came to teaching and and to this moment here at MTC, and that was actually through a process of really good reflection on your career. I would love for you to to tell that story about what you what were you doing and what did you discover and where did it lead you. Yeah, so my primary background uh, is in collegiate athletics. I was a college basketball coach for a number of years and uh, absolutely loved it. Um, I just loved the coaching, um, the, the, the strategy, the development of relationships uh, that coaching offers. And uh, I kind of came to a point in my career, Claire, that I realized the wins and losses didn't matter to me as a coach anymore. But what I really, really loved was connecting with student athletes, with students on campus, uh, with faculty, staff, um, and really just developing those relationships on campus and uh, in the college environment. And I kind of made a shift in, in what I wanted to do and kind of saw the similarities in coaching and teaching through a number of conversations. And I really enjoyed that process as well. Um, and that's how I kind of primarily came to uh, higher education and teaching is, our, is my coaching philosophy. And I take a lot of the principles that I've learned in coaching basketball um, and I've applied them to the classroom. And I think that's the one thing I've kind of, you know, kept over the years um, is there are so many similarities to coaching and teaching. And now I'm just applying it to a different area, a uh, different skill set of uh, public speaking, which I 
really, really love. To know yourself better and then to act on that knowledge, I, I think is is just, I think what we all hope for. And our students Absolutely. are in that exact process, right? They're, they are, that's what education is. It's change. You're here to have some kind of change. Do you ever tell that story? All the time, all the time. I just think it's so important to kind of open up those experiences experiences and, and stories that we've gone through as educators to kind of help let them know it's okay to make changes, um, let them know it's okay to, you know, make different career paths and and, and look at some different areas of kind of helping, you know, look at careers that 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 are making you want to do meaningful work. And that's the kind of area I was looking at is what is making me get up and come to work every day and be passionate and do things that I know I'm making a difference. And uh, luckily, I found that coaching and teaching have very similar aspects in the profession. And I've just kind of used that as a tool to help me to continue my career path in teaching. I've heard you say before that you've always grounded yourself in what's sometimes called servant leadership. Um, and that that brings that opens up a whole lot of interesting things. But I also know, and I feel this is so connected, is that you also tell yourself to your students, you know, I'm just one of the many people here that can help you. Tell me a bit about how you see yourself as part of a community here to serve students. Absolutely. And I think that's the thing I've I've realized over the years, Claire, is just the our students are the priority, right? That we are here for them. And that's where I've kind of based that leadership um, perspective of servant leadership is we want to be able to serve them. And um, I've kind of reflected in my time uh, as a teacher and an educator and realize, you know, sometimes I don't have all the answers and, and that's okay, but hopefully I'm able to to get students in the correct direction to either access that resource or access that context as they're moving forward and getting what they need and, and to getting and enjoying that experience as a student, whether it's educationally, whether it's socially, I think that's very important, um, you know, as educators here on campus is just examining that and, and, and knowing that our students are our number one priority. One thing that comes up for me is you're really in the middle of a career, you know, you're, you're, you're not at the beginning and you've had time and experience, but there's more to go. You know, there's, there's, there's so much more that could happen. When you think about the future, what do you hope for either for yourself or our teaching community or our students? What do you, what do you hope for? I love this question, Claire. This is something where I've always kind of just evaluated and looked at, you know, what, what's, what's coming next and, and and more so just I think that's an education question in general for higher ed is 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 how do we adapt and how do we change into helping our students and I think that's the one thing I've kind of thought of and reflected over whether the past couple of years is I know I want to be in a role that's still impacting students um, whether that's uh, in the classroom uh, whether that's in different areas of resources um, that's what I've kind of found out in my career trajectory is you know I want to impact students I want to be able to help them to get to where they want to go and I know MTC is just a great foundation for that so it could you know even though it may be the beginning of the journey it doesn't mean it's the end. It's just that foundation they're building on and taking their next step uh, to maybe a professional 
um, experience or whether to it's an, a, to another educational experience. Um, but that's something I'm hoping and I've been reflective on is just wanting to impact students as we move forward in a positive way. I think just being open and honest in the process is something I've really kind of emphasized over the years is, um, you know, you got to make sure you are evaluating yourself as an educator, but also making sure you kind of put those into action um, and making sure you're looking at steps to doing what you want career-wise or doing at different areas in the classroom uh, and putting those into action. And I think it's good to take time. I, I think sometimes I uh, I want to rush the process a little bit, if that makes sense, but I, I have to kind of coach and teach myself uh, to know that it's okay to be patient and things are going to kind of um, unfold naturally, but I also have to take those steps as well to help put them into action moving forward. You really reminded me that reflection without action is a little hollow, um, but at the same time, it doesn't mean you have to act instantly. You know, it's like your students, you know, like you, you've just given a speech, you're not going to give it again instantly, right? I mean, like you take some time and there's the momentary re reflection in the moment, and then there's reflection after action. Um, and you remind me that we have to take our time to think it through, but then we have to choose how to act next. In my time with Matt, I heard a person who's very thoughtfully practicing what he teaches. As his students are required to do in his classes, he reflects immediately after teaching but he also continues to reflect as time passes, considering larger arcs in his teaching and his career. This is the habit of a lifetime and one that he is offering his students. To once again quote John Dewey, sometimes slowness and depth of response are connected. Time is required in order to digest impressions and translate them into substantial ideas. To slowly realize that one's career needs to take a different turn and then to act to make that change, this is the patient work that follows deep reflection and self-knowledge. Students will use these reflection methods he's taught them in class, and they can choose to bring them outward, to generalize reflection, to transfer it to other classes and other subjects, into their careers, into their personal lives. Matt is teaching what can become a lifelong habit of mind that is also an essential part of lifelong learning. And now let's turn to our second guest in the School of Healthcare. This professor also has a muscular personal reflective practice that she embeds all over her courses for students. It was she who made me appreciate that for medical professionals, lack of reflection can be downright dangerous. The profession demands self-reflection for safety and success, and reflection on one's own progress in school makes a stronger student. Let's walk over to the tidy corridors with their lemony whiff of hand sanitizer in the neighborhood of healthcare and inquire into the work of reflection and respiratory therapy. Well, my name is Casey Hendricks, and I am a respiratory therapist. I teach in the School of Healthcare. Uh, specifically in respiratory care, and I also teach college skills and med term. Um, I started teaching as an adjunct faculty in 2003 and as a full-time faculty member in 2013. 
one thing I I'm just so excited to get to is the skill of reflection. Uh, because for me, that that is one of those essential skills in learning that um, I particularly love, even though it can be one of the hardest, right? So I'm wondering how how have you come to think about reflection in your profession and in your teaching? What is the place in those two spaces? Well, if I think about it in my profession, I guess, I would think that as I'm a healthcare provider, I'm a respiratory therapist. So I think that healthcare providers kind of need to think about what their patient's needs are and evaluate to see if their patient needs are being met properly. And you kind of have to reflect as you go through your day and doing patient care, if what you're doing is meeting that patient's goal. And if it's not, you can reflect on different ways that you might kind of approach that clinical scenario or that clinical problem. You might change your therapy or recommend something different to the physician because part of our job is not just to carry out orders. Part of our job is to also consider the best plan of care for a patient. So I think reflections can be done in your actual career pathway. You can't just fire on all cylinders and just, you know, bear on ahead without noticing how the patient is actually responding to treatment, right? You know, because it's not a cookie, bodies are not cookie cutters. And what may really work for most people doesn't work for everyone necessarily. So without reflection, what, what does healthcare become? Right. Without reflection, it just becomes a series of orders being carried out with no considerations of of tailoring it to the specific patient. Right. And so when we think about that kind of individuation, when we bring that to learning and you know, you're asking your students to reflect, how have you come to see the uses of reflection for your students that you're teaching all the time? How do you find that useful for them? Well, I think, I think reflections allow a student to try to make sense of a topic and share in their own words how they are engaging with that material. You know, I think if a student pauses to think about a topic and consider how that material fits into their real life or to the program, you know, what they're learning, it, it helps them relate to that material. And sometimes they even can relate that material to another course that they're teaching. It really helps them make connections between multiple courses and understanding why our curriculum might be built that way. And we know that reflection is a wonderful metacognitive, metacognition um, memory tool. It helps students retain information when they sit and think about it. And it's a non-confrontational way for them to engage with material. It helps a student realize for themselves why they need to learn the material. And maybe it helps them explore how they could apply that material in the course um, that they're in. Um, and I think all of that helps engage the student and make them more successful. I was just um, in a CTE and um, strategic planning committee meeting yesterday, and we were talking about the desirability of students becoming alive to connections, not just within a course, like within kind, of, but also within a whole curriculum. What do you think is the strength? What happens for students when they make those larger connections? Well, I think they have like a light bulb goes off. I think they, 
you know, kind of gives them their agency, so to speak. You know, it gives them more confidence in what they're learning. They, they're recognizing, they see the value in what we're teaching them because they can make a connection not only in this course, but it matters in another course. Or um, I think as they make those connections, um, it, it, it improves their engagement with them. And I think we have to recognize that learning is not passive, it's active, right? And I think we all know that. And we know that students need to put in the effort required to be successful. And reflection is a really great way for students to actively participate in their learning. It gives them the opportunity to evaluate maybe what they know or what they still need to learn. It kind of puts the learning in their core. And, and also for me as an instructor, when I give a reflection and read it, it gives me a lot of feedback about what a student already has mastered or where I need to maybe focus some more learning on, learning for them, you know? But you're doing the same thing as a professor that you would have done um, as a healthcare provider. You're saying, what does this person need, right? How, how, do, how are they responding? To what I'm giving them, and and you know, are, are we are we really going strong here? Do we need something different? So you just said that you read reflections. I would love to hear about how you build reflection into your courses, um, like your non-CUL courses, uh, in in concrete or or in soft ways. In medical terminology, um, I teach an asynchronous online course. It's a fast-paced course. It's a ten-week course where they go through fourteen chapters. It's a lot. So they have a lot to learn on their own. And I try to use reflections in a discussion board in this online course. Like for an example, I tell them to, um, they do a discussion explaining what would happen if medical terminology is not understood by the healthcare team. So they give an example from their own program of study that they're going into. So let's say I have a student who's in my med term class, but they're going into surgical technology. They would create a story where maybe a surgical technologist did not understand a medical term and how that would impact patient care. And through this reflection, I think students can see the importance of learning the medical terms I'm asking them to learn in the course, because if they don't know them, they can see that their patients can suffer. And they get to see it over a spectrum of all students explaining it in different disciplines. And I think that's a really cool reflection that students do. That's a wonderful tool. Like they, they have, it requires them to sort of reverse engineer, right? If we remove this, what are all the dominoes that get knocked down? And the stakes are pretty high in healthcare. Right. And they do a great job of creating a little story and why it, how somebody may have misunderstood the term or misinterpreted and what happened to the patient. And they really engage a lot in those type of discussions. I guess I'm talking to each other and engage with each other. And it's a, it's a, I think they find some fun in it, you know, because they're creating a, a story, so to speak, and they get to read each other's stories. Or, and they also, you know, when they're in an asynchronous class, it helps build community. Gives them the opportunity to discuss with each other and say, oh, I'm going into surge tech too, and you're right, blah, blah, blah. It spurs other little conversations. Um, I do another, in almost every class I teach, I do a midterm reflection. It's another discussion board, but I get students to look at their grade that they currently have and to read all the feedback that they've gotten from me as their instructor, and they need to reflect on how the course is going for them, and they reflect, is this grade what you expected so far? 
and they then describe what they're doing to be successful. And maybe they share a tip with a classmate, you know, about what might be working for them. They also say what, what is maybe keeping them from being successful, like recognizing they're on the t watching too much TV or working too much or too much social media, or they're just studying at the last minute. And the last part of that midterm reflection is what can you do differently in the second half of the semester to be more successful? And it's specifically what tools make a plan to be more successful. And that discussion is really engaging with the class too, because they encourage each other. They spend a lot of time sharing tips with each other about, hey, I do flashcards. Hey, why don't we make a study group? Let's go to the library. I use Quizlet, I use Cahoots, you know? And I think that community building is there as well as them learning from each other uh, tools to, to be successful in school. You know, students, they like to hear the teacher tell them what to do, but they respond better when another classmate tells them what to do. You know what I'm thinking about too as you talk is you're you're taking the teeth out of self-reflection in the sense that self-reflection is becoming a very positive and um comfortable place to be as opposed to the kind of thing that we sometimes think self-reflection is, which is self-criticism. When we just go through the reasons why we are dreadful people and you know, we haven't done, we haven't made the grades we were supposed to make, and we haven't been the person we're supposed to be. And we use self-reflection as a bludgeon, right? We hurt ourselves with it. Mm -hmm. But it sounds like you're kind of making self you're you're how how are you doing that? What what allows you to get them out of that register of self-criticism and into self-reflection? I think through teaching COL 106, I am trying to focus on a student's growth mindset and trying to encourage a growth mindset. And part of that is for them to see that they can do anything if they put more effort in. So a lot of my reflections would be built on what would happen if you don't learn this material and why should you learn this material and, and reminding you why you're here. <laughs> you're here because you wanna be a surgical technologist. So there's the value you know, in learning that. Keeping it to the place of and reminding them also that, you know, they aren't it is true that they are learning things that will be very important, you know, in a surgical setting, but not yet. People's, you know, their mistakes are not going to cost someone else their health and life. Could you say something about how reflection is different when the stakes are different? In other words, it's different to reflect as a student when someone's life is not actually in your hands, as opposed to reflection on the job when, you know, the, the pressure is on and you're a professional. What I'm hearing you say, sometimes I see in the classroom itself, not necessarily in a reflection, I can see a student get really frustrated um, when they're trying to learn a skill and they don't feel like they're good at it and they want to throw their hands up and say, I can't do this. And, and I try to remind them in that classroom setting that you're not supposed to be the expert today. You're here to learn the skills. I'm the expert, I've been doing it 30 years. So your, your goal is to become an expert one day, but today you may not be. And trying to manage and navigate that, whether it's in the classroom and I see a student you know, verbalize, and that's a formal reflection when they're in a classroom and they say, this isn't working for me, I can't do it. I, I did it wrong and they get mad at themselves. I think part of our goal as teachers is to support that student and to recognize that you can't give up 
you're not supposed to be the expert yet. You're supposed to stick with it, put the effort in, keep moving forward, have that growth mindset. And um, you will one day become the expert, you know, and trying to remind them of that. This is just like hearing Jeremy saying gently over and over, no one was born knowing how to do this work. And Tom saying, I was once like you. I sat in your seat and I felt the same doubts. And now I'm here. A moment of grounding can be part of the reflective process, knowing when to pause, reset, recommit. That makes me wonder about, um, you said a little bit about did the teaching of your COL course, it's COL 106 in, in, in the School of Healthcare. Um, tell me a little bit about what that's opened up for you as, as a professor. What has that done for your teaching? Well, it's given me a lot of tools and it kind of always keeps my mind going back to certain things like time management, metacognition, growth mindset. I, I use, uh, I remind my students all the time that studying is what you do the night before a test. Learning is what takes all this effort because you need to learn it because you got to keep using it from semester to semester. Respiratory care builds on itself. It's not something you learn for this test and you throw it away. And I think students have to learn that when they come to college, that the test that you're learning in midterm, all the material in midterm is going to be used when you go to physical therapy assistant. The stuff you're learning in math, if you're in every everything we do in life, Math and English, all, all our core courses that we're learning are, are important in everything that we do. I have um, in my respiratory care class, some textbooks have, are really built for reflections. And the textbook I teach out of is a physiology course. It has these what they call clinical connection scenarios like built into the chapter. And I get students to go to the chapter we're studying and they pick um, a clinical connection that resonates with them. And they do a discussion about that concept and they talk about why they picked it, like if they think it's something they need to learn more about or it's something they were confused about in class or it, it's something that connects to something they've learned in another course. Um, in that reflection, they talk about why they need to understand that concept at a deeper level. And the best part for me when I read a lot of these kind of reflections is to, I can, when I read them, I can like see my students' light bulb turn on in their head. It's like I can see that they've made a connection and they understand something or they get excited about what they learned. It's so gratifying as a teacher to read reflections. In my COL class, the final reflection that they write uh, makes me so happy at the end because I can see that they really gained some knowledge and value out of what they learned because of how they kind of write in an excited manner, if that makes sense. You know, you can read, you can, you can read the joy that they feel when they make that connection. Student joy is so wonderful. Mm -hmm. Student joy. Tell me a little bit about the, that, that, that joy. What are they discovering? What's giving them that joy there at the end of that course? Well, I think they feel, I think it gives them some satisfaction when they're able to reflect back in a positive manner on what, and, and maybe that's a key thing, Claire, like what you were talking about earlier. It's a positive reflection where they get to say what they gained, what was the most important thing you learned about time management? How are you going to uh, change your habits in the future? How will this impact you? I think when they're able to reflect, they can see it in one place, like, oh, Look what I've learned. Look what I've gained. And, and I think that brings them some satisfaction, joy. It gives them some confidence in what they're learning and helps them um, 
stay engaged with the material and keep moving forward to be more successful. Wonder about your joy in all of this. I know that you received your training here at MTC and then went out to the community, but then you returned here to be part of our mission. I'd love to hear a little bit about your story there. Um, what, um, what? Tell me what you, why you came to teach, and what you hope to be doing for our community. Well, I graduated from Midlands Tech in 1993, so it's been 30 years ago for me, and I, I, I love the profession of respiratory care. I worked in a neonatal intensive care unit for 24 years, and the bedside is very gratifying and a wonderful profession, but even while doing patient care, I naturally kind of gravitated toward teaching and taught in the clinical setting, and I guess 20 years ago, in 2003, I became an adjunct instructor here and then uh, became a full-time instructor in 2013. And Claire, it was really hard to leave the bedside because I love my bedside care, but I knew I could make a bigger difference and touch more lives teaching here at Midlands Tech. Instead of touching the 10 patients that day, I'll train 20 new therapists this year who will touch hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of patients. And you know, Claire, today more than ever, we need knowledgeable and skilled respiratory therapists in the hospital to take care of COVID and asthma, COPD, cardiovascular issues, et cetera. And I'm, I'm very humbled to be part of a team here at Midlands Tech that trains and develops future generations of respiratory therapists for our local community. It's very satisfying to work here and be able to train and prepare students and give them the confidence as well as the knowledge and skills that they need to be successful in healthcare. You know, I remember that um, our slogan, you can get anywhere from here, is something that means a lot to you. Tell me a little bit about why you really feel like this captures an important spirit of the college. Well, that mattered to me. I was a student who was food insecure. I didn't have good guidance. I'm a first generation college graduate. I didn't have a lot of guidance. I, I actually went to USC, was going to nursing school originally and was unsuccessful and made a bunch of uh, freshman mistakes and failed out of school, went to work for around 10 years and then decided I need to come back to college. And Midlands Tech was affordable. But more than that, I could start a career within two years and get a wonderful career that's been so satisfying. And I feel like I've done uh, a great service for the community. I, I felt very um, proud of the work I've done. And, um, and Midlands Tech gave that to me with very little upfront cost or time. And I've been supported even after graduating. I've, even the teachers here, if I had a question, uh, I could always come back and ask something and, and still felt the support here um, after I graduated. So I love the mission of our college that you can get anywhere from here and then we take students where they are and try to develop them into uh, whatever their life goal is. And sometimes their goal, what they originally thought their goal is, might not be what they're wind up doing, just like it wasn't for me. I wanted to be a nurse anesthetist and it didn't turn out to be my final goal, but I'm very satisfied and happy with where my trajectory turned out to going, you know? You've heard two flavors of reflection here at MTC. 
The two professors are hoping for a similar effect, even as their activities are tailored to different disciplines. Both have found that having students reflect, plan, act, and reflect again can have great benefit. But it also reminds me that reflection without action is hollow. It takes student agency to put the fruits of reflection into action, to make whatever change they've decided will make a difference for them into practice. And both professors remain focused on their deep sense of mission and purpose as they teach. And here in episode four, I think we better see the weaving together of the process of learning. Mindset remains a tremendous part of instruction. A flexible growth mindset is pretty crucial to making reflection fruitful. And Casey in particular echoed much of our conversation on frustration as she narrated helping students work through frustration and healthcare skills that are exacting, focused, and challenging. And student agency is strengthened by reflection. By being able to attend to their own process, students are empowered or emboldened to make their own choices about learning, and those informed choices have better outcomes. Once again, I'm appreciating the softness of the boundaries between the components of learning to learn. You also heard just the barest outlines of what brought two of our professors here to us at the college. What a journey people make to join the MTC community. We often talk about the many paths people walk to become our students, but I find the same is true of how our professors and staff come to join us. It was Matt's ability to reflect and act that led him to realize that when wins and losses ceased to make a difference to him as a coach, but that student lives remained central, it was time to change paths. And now he teaches that skill woven into his course content. It makes his students stronger public speakers and better learners overall. And who knows how reflection might serve them as it served Matt. And Casey has traveled from food insecure MTC student to practicing respiratory therapist to MTC professor. Her profession demands thoughtfulness, critical thinking, and reflection. And she offers students many opportunities to explore these skills so that when they arrive on the job, they have the foundation of being excellent observers, responders, and learners. They're able to constantly check in with themselves and their patients and make the next right decision. The meaning her work has for her radiates into her daily teaching and conversation. Her devotion to the community through medical service is something that makes MTC a very special place to receive an education or a lifetime. I hope you've enjoyed your time with Matt and Casey and have found some ideas for your own teaching or service with students. As always, I've compiled some resources derived from today's discussion, like the specific reflective practices both professors use. Follow the link to the episode webpage in the show notes wherever you're listening and see if there's anything that you can adapt in your own context. I hope you'll join us next time when we turn to an active learning method that could be described as a state of mind, play. Once again, we'll have two professors whose classes depend on play for students to fully understand and use the skills they're teaching. Eileen Fins, our theater professor in the School of English and Humanities, and Stan Frost, who runs our mechatronics program in the School of AMST. What does play look like? And how does it further learning in these two very different disciplines? Listen in to find out. Join us next time as we edge closer to summer and further into the web of our community.